just for our audience's uh, knowledge, Peter does not have any time to edit this week, so we've all been instructed to sit quietly and not, not talk over each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's dead annoying when people talk Let's over each see other. How that goes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are John Farman, Ian McLaughlin, Peter Johnson, Louise Taylor, and I'm Hazel Chandler. On today's show, we give you our latest and greatest recommendations of things to watch. Plus, we'll be previewing what we're most looking forward to in 2022 and hope that nothing affects those release dates. So, let's get started. So you, you have some fun news. Well, no, not really. I just uh, heard something amusing and I thought I'd share it. Go ahead. I mean, you know, it's been built up a bit too no much now. <laughs> I think it's interesting. Anna de Armas. We're all familiar with oh, Anna yeah. de Armas. I'm very familiar with Anna de Armas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was supposed to be in a film. I think it's called Yesterday. Yes. And she was in the trailer for it and they cut her role out of the film. And now two people in America are suing the studio for $5 million because Anna de Armas was not in the film as promised. Which is ridiculous, isn't it? And what is their case? They bought the film on the pretext that their favourite actress would be in the movie and wasn't in the movie. They paid $3.50 for it as well when you read yes. the claim, which is even more <laughs> ridiculous. How do they justify the millions of Because it's on pounds? behalf of all the disappointed fans, apparently. She was apparently playing the love interest, but they had to cut that part of the story out because of the uh, feedback from the audience. Yes. So yes. Lost that yeah. Bit. It is. Yeah. 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 Who's love interest? The main guy's one. Yeah. Seeing as he was pretending he'd written all the Beatles songs, Maybe it also felt a bit like he was manipulating her under false pretenses. Uh, there could have been that sort of aspect. Ah, uh, okay. It's interesting that we've probably all watched yesterday, but none of us can remember anything about mm. it. It's shit. <laughs> my dream is to bang my head and wake up having had yesterday erased from existence. <laughs> <laughs> How many times should we hit your head to see if this happens? Actually, if you think about it, don't we all live in the world where yesterday doesn't exist? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, meta. Ooh. Confused now. <laughs> you know what else is shit? Sliding doors. Mm. Well, I like that at the no. time. At the time, yeah. But I, I was at 11. I've not rewatched yeah. it for many, many years. But at the time, it was... It's a man seducing a lady by quoting Monty Python, which I don't think has ever worked in the history of seductions. <laughs> Quite the opposite. <laughs> Bev and I have been together 41 years. <laughs> I just said, nee. <laughs> Should we do some recommendations? Yes. Yes, let's. Yes. So we're going to uh, review things that we have been enjoying recently. Ian, I pick you to go first. I accept your pick. <laughs> Today, I am going to fill my own personal shameful gap. A gap so big, you can hardly see me for the gap. A gap so <laughs> profound, Buddha would punch me in the face and say, how's that for enlightenment, you previous life dodging fucknut? <clears throat> A gap now filled with one of the greatest movies of the 70s. Lenny, starring Dusty Bin Hoffman and directed by legendary choreographer, Bob Fosse. Mm. We were wondering how come Ian had so much written about this movie and now we know why. <laughs> it's entirely the intro. <laughs> yeah. This biographical movie charts the rise and fall of groundbreaking, taboo-busting American comedy legend Lenny Bruce. Lenny was renowned for his freestyle, often improvisational critical comedy 
which focused on satire, politics, religion, sex, and a lot of obscenity. In fact, in 1964, he was convicted of obscenity in a landmark trial that fought for the freedom of speech. He was one of the first comedians to say the unsayable and force us to hold up a mirror to our own duplicity. Director Bob Fosse, who started out as a theatre choreographer, is also well known for directing musical theatre adaptations for the screen, including Cabaret, Sweet Charity, All That Jazz and Chicago. All classic movies, but how could those movies give him the credentials to take on a subject miles from Broadway? It becomes clear from the opening scene in a dank comedy cellar that this is a kind of dance. The rhythm of the editing and the artistry of the framing is perfectly timed. Its deep and grainy black and white imagery is almost noir with its sharp contrast and cigarette smoke beams of spotlight. He also plays with time, jumping backwards and forwards to Lenny's formative years working in strip clubs as a compere, to the present where an almost reverent audience lap up every word as Lenny's addictions start to take hold and ultimately destroy him. Dustin Hoofbag is simply brilliant and captures the spirit of a man who refuses to conform to the norm. Lenny was no saint and the film doesn't shy away from this, hard-drinking, philandering, lost child who gradually comes to the realisation that we are all ruled by a selfish need to grab whatever we can from life. Dustin Hoffman, though, is almost eclipsed by Valerie Perrine, who plays the stripper girlfriend, Honey Bruce. In the early scene, where we see her performing centre stage surrounded by seedy businessmen with their disapproving, maybe jealous wives, she manages to retain dignity as she peels the layers back. It's almost like she's shut the blinds and is alone with her body. Lenny and Honey's relationship is fraught with problems, but honest and loving. And the scene where Lenny takes Honey home to meet his Jewish mother and grandmother is simply hilarious. What could be really awkward becomes a scene of wonderful acceptance from his mother. The greatest achievement for me, though, is the early use of faux documentary by Fosse, with several talking head interviews that just give the film the feeling that you're actually watching the real thing unfold. Watch it, Lenny, 1974. I absolutely loved it. I saw it years ago. I was watching some Bill Hicks stuff, and then you go down a wormhole and mm. you go, well, Bill Hicks was inspired by perhaps Sam Kinison, who was inspired by Lenny Bruce, so you go back down. I watched the film kind of on that basis, but I think it looks beautiful. I really, the black and white cinematography is amazing. And uh, just a hoofbag, as I believe is called now, mm-hmm. was incredibly good in it as well. Don't go back and watch Lenny Bruce himself, though. No, it's not, it's not, an, it's not an accurate portrayal. I understand why, because I, I imagine in the 50s it was groundbreaking and that kind of stuff. But if you listen to the actual routines now and watch actual footage of Lenny Bruce, it's not that good. Is that just because standards and the style people expect? Yeah, he's kind of held up as this kind of reverent, great comedian. But if you watch his lap performances, he's very high on heroin. And it's just a mumbling one hour rant about how the FBI and the feds are trying to close him down. And now everybody's mm. abandoning him without any jokes in there. It just became kind of weird, paranoid monologues towards the end. So the film is probably more interesting than the person or the the... the the story the is more interesting than the, the actual material that he did. I'd agree with that. So I only really know him from him being a side character in the series The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, where he kind of helped her get her break. I don't know if it was true what happened in the series, but he, he kind, she got arrested for lewd behaviour on stage mm-hmm. and he paid her mm-hmm. bail, I think, to get her out. I don't think it's a true story. Might... I <laughs> imagine it's not. I think no. it might be based on or inspired by someone, but he kind of cropped up in that as a character and I think they built on some of his story or kind of wove him in a bit. Now I know who you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Regardless whether you uh, regard Lenny Bruce as a, a great comedian or not, 
but the movie is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. It has a kind of feel of almost like Godfather opening scene at the wedding because Bob Fosse uses kind of real people mm-hmm. in the clubs. And so it has a very kind of realistic, all these strange, mm-hmm. wonderful faces and characters around. It's just, yeah, it has a, a real documentary feel to it. But you're right that it's almost like a musical in the way it's almost like jazz almost, which I'll get it played in a lot of jazz clubs and things like that. So it's a link there. But the editing style and the pacing is very much... It's beautiful. Yeah. Bob Fosse, I just think of Roy Scheider every time from there. Which movie is it? All That Jazz. That's the one, yeah. It is All That Jazz, which Fosse directed. Mm. Did he? Yeah. He directed oh, weird. Schneider as himself in All That Jazz. That is strange. You've got to be very careful if you try and download that film because you wouldn't let her away from downloading a very, very different film. <laughs> <laughs> All that jizz. Yeah. Can I, can I... <laughs> Sorry, we're getting Peter side-eye for being naughty. We were saying that the, the Foss and Verdon TV series had Michelle Williams and Sam Rockwell. We were trying to work out who played Fosse in that one. Sam Rockwell was always good and everything. Episode 102 and the cracks are starting to show. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the last album? <laughs> What do you mean starting? I reckon like we should do like a live show in 14 days, right? So we just have to come up with like 100 hours of new podcast material within a fortnight and then we'll do it in a fucking Roman Coliseum or on a roof or something. What do you reckon? Can I be the one who leaves after the first episode? I reckon we should live in a world where that impression doesn't exist. Yeah. It's weird that Louise is just staring at us while doing the knitting and reading the paper. <laughs> what? <laughs> So was that your John Lennon impression? That's just my generic scouse. <laughs> yeah. I always think it's polite if you visit a city or country to talk in the accent of that city or country to blend yeah. in. I'm banned from a lot of places. Yeah. Do you remember when my they nephew thought that. that and he started doing a Scottish accent because he was going to Edinburgh and then as soon as he got there, he looked around and realised it was wrong and he's five years old. John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling to think of a country you haven't had to apologise to for insulting no. them on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I bet you've not offended Malta yet. <laughs> Who's next? <laughs> I'm just loving Peter's face. Going, I do. No edits. <laughs> I'm just watching all the little lines on his thing overlapping each other. This is literally the worst one so far. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with Lenny's, it's quite hard to find. There's a DVD of it floating around, but it's not on any streaming service. All right, I shall write to Netflix immediately. I'd say, dear Netflix. Dear Netflix. Please, can you put on this film that I've already seen (laughs) so that I can watch it using the subscription that I don't pay for because I stole my friend's password. Lots of love, Ian. (laughs) And the password is... (laughs) (laughs) Who would like to go next? Louise. And in the spirit of John Farthing, it's a recommendation with reservations, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to talk about the sequel series to Sex and the City, which is, and just like that, which is now available on Sky via Now TV here in the UK. They've persuaded back at least three of the main cast, Carrie, Charlotte and Miranda are back. They've not managed to persuade Kim Cattrall to come back and play Samantha after, I believe, what was a bit of a falling out with Sarah Jessica Parker. There's something very comforting about having some really familiar characters who I think a lot of people probably kind of got through their 20s watching and kind of living vicariously through their experiences. It's quite comforting to have these people back remind yourself who they were and see what they've come up with doing in terms of the plots for their lives. But um, I guess the reservation is that some of the characters who they really spent a lot of time building up in some of the original series and the, well, at least one of the films, we pretend one of the films doesn't exist because it was an abomination, which was two. It was a number two and it should have been flushed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the, the new series, the lead cast are all now in their fifties. There was an interesting thing I saw the other day, which was saying that apparently the main characters are now around the age that the characters in the Golden Girls were when that series started. 
Mm. A and little bit older. Yeah. <laughs> so they're they're quite different. They don't they aren't really living those golden girl lives. The first episode, you get a bit of background on where they are. So Carrie is living with Big in their fantastic apartment in Manhattan. Charlotte has her two kids and is living that kind of high-rise life that she always aspired to. Miranda has given up her high-flying legal career to retrain as a human rights lawyer and is troubled by, I think possibly because the lead actresses maybe weren't so interested in doing endless sex scenes anymore. They bombard you with a lot of her teenage son having sex in the first few episodes, which didn't really need probably could have done without i mean she finds it distasteful and as a viewer i think we find it quite distasteful as well (laughs) (laughs) she's trying not to but they seem to live despite being inutterably rich and living in new york she seems to live in an apartment that's cramped enough that she can't get away from the sound of her teenage son shagging and then we pick up with them again and see where their lives have gotten to and at the end of the first episode dramatically big the love of carrie's life goes on his peloton and then keels over and dies of a heart attack. Well, so, she watches rather than calling an ambulance. Well, there was much debate about mm. this. And I did read an article online where they actually um, interviewed sort of a cardiologist who works in an emergency room and they described the scenario to them and they worked it all through and then concluded that, yes, she killed him. And if she'd rung an ambulance instead of <laughs> holding him in the shower and weeping while he died in front of her, he would have survived. So Carrie did kill Big. They don't make a big deal of that in the programme. Everyone knows when you watch it back now she's dreadful she's spoiled Mm -hmm. and she's a fantasist and she just treats people like rubbish quite a lot of the time and she hasn't changed so in a way you're kind of back to that familiar character although i'll say she's actually probably the best one now she probably comes off the best there was Mm. some i mean i was thinking about charlotte and she always had these quite unappealing traits of being quite a a social climber she wanted Mm. the husband who was a rich doctor she wanted the fancy apartment and she got all those things and the things she's aspiring for now in one of the early, some of the early episodes, she's kind of desperate to add a black family to her friend group and she pursues them quite viciously to try and make them her friends and it's just a bit distasteful really. They've looked around at the issues that are really pertinent and prominent these days and they are integrating them into their plot lines but it does feel a little stitched on because I don't know if those people would really be having these problems today. We kind of really knew those characters and where they've taken them. I'm not sure it 100% feels like a natural place Mm. where those people would have been. When a series comes back with characters you've not seen in a long time, how much should those characters have changed? Do you think, as a viewer, yeah. what are you expecting? Do you want to see development and improvement, or do you want some of the same old stuff you got last time? This is where I'm kind of torn on it, because like I say, it's comforting to see those familiar characters that you knew doing what they always did. <laughs> Charlotte is dealing with her teenage child thinking they may be non-binary, and she's really struggling with it. And that feels quite realistic. Like, Charlotte would find that really hard. And the reactions she, and the way she's dealing with that, you think, I know Charlotte, and I can believe that's Charlotte. <laughs> and it was similar about Carrie as well, actually. Not long after Biggs died, she's kind of living the life she had back when she was in the early series. And you kind of think she always was quite selfish and kind of self-indulgent and sort of wrapped up in herself. And I think that probably is what she would have done. That feels quite honest to her character. And she briefly bought what looked like about a $50 million apartment with an incredible view across the whole city. She'd stayed there for one night and then decided she was going to sell it and go back to her old apartment. Yeah. And that was quite hard to stomach. You just think, this is a ludicrous life this woman has. <laughs> and also, Big was quite obviously a billionaire, so she obviously now has all the money in the world and is still raiding her old wardrobe. Was some of that change because, obviously, Big, there are issues for the actor who's played him? No. Um, apparently, there's been some changes. So we're, I'm not, we're not up to the finale yet, but apparently the, in the finale, there was planned to be a scene where there was sort of a flashback or a fantasy sequence that the he was in. The ghost of Big. Yeah, and apparently that's not happening anymore. Like oh. when... when Jack Duckworth died, the ghost of Vera came to take him into the afterlife in Coronation Street. 
I don't remember that. <laughs> it happened. They had, no, a, they, really? had a, they had a little dance in the living room and they went off together. Wow. Did they do that scene um, where the Carrie character's at the school dance and then the boys oh. pour pig blood on yeah. her and then she like yeah. shuts all the doors and windows using her special powers and Ian, burns everyone? Ian makes a different Carrie. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, there's still two episodes left, so maybe. It, it could happen. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I've, I've been dipping in and out. By which oh, I, don't tell us that. By which I mean, I've been walking into the room whilst Louise has been watching it going, fuck this shit, turning around and leaving. They have a non-binary podcaster character, and it just feels a little bit like an old white man de- taking a dartboard with issues of today written on them. Like, non-binary, podcaster, they're both popular things today. Let's do that. Two for one. Yeah, It does feel a bit like that. They've forced a lot of issues in there. It feels a bit like issue soup sometimes, but the characters are struggling with it, and I think that's quite honest. Miranda's probably the character that most people are having the biggest issue with in terms of her definitely new approach because Miranda was always the most progressive the most self-assured um and yeah that's not coming across in this series that's a real shame like I really miss the old Miranda but I do kind of think there is something to be said for you are a different person in your mid-50s than you are in your mid-30s yeah um and life events have affected us all in different ways but I I really really miss the old Miranda yeah, very much so. And given that the first film, the only one we acknowledge happening, had a, a really pivotal plot that was all around Miranda and Steve kind of having a bit of a, a crisis in their relationship and deciding that actually what they had was worth fighting for and staying together for. And the actor who plays him, David Eigenberg, has actually started using hearing aids and he's developed like hearing problems. And they've written that into the show, which I think is really good. Mm. But they've sort of piled it into the reasons why it's Miranda is struggling. Yeah. yeah. And so Miranda kind of is frustrated that he, she has to repeat everything for him, which I have to say I feel from living with John sometimes. <laughs> 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 they seem to be framing it as part of the reason why Miranda is frustrated with Steve and is thinking of kind of leaving their relationship. He's basically sat on a sofa saying, what, what? And shouting at her. And she's gone off and had a, um, a passionate affair with the non-binary podcaster instead. They've ignored all of the time and, and plot lines and episodes that they spent mm. building up their relationship and have just brushed it aside quite quickly. You've kind of got to do that because, uh, you know, as the show started, from what I understand, they're all reasonably happily married with families and that's a pretty cool TV show, isn't it? Yeah, and I remember you saying when you saw the first episode that something big had to happen at the end of there and it had to be big dying because yeah. where else could Carrie's story go? They were like living in a happy bubble and... They didn't really have any challenges, the two of them. They didn't have kids to look after and they didn't have like career problems because they just seemed to have mountains of money. So something else had to happen to drive them on a bit as a story. So how many Louis Vuitton high heels out of... Do Louis Vuitton do high heels? I don't Not know. Sure yeah. Does it make sure? Mm, yeah, yeah. It does, yeah. Is it Monono Blanix? Is her yeah, brand? that would have been more Monono appropriate, John. I I'm not even going to try and say that. Monono <laughs> <laughs> Blanix. How many margarine blends out of 10 would you give it? <laughs> I would probably give it an 8 out of 10, actually. So as much as, I'm, as much as I'm critical of it, I absolutely can't stop what? watching it and I look forward to it every week. Um, and so however angry I might get at the way they've treated some of the characters and however I doubt some of the plot lines, I, I absolutely have to watch it every week and I can't wait for the next one. Yeah. I have to ask one question and a follow-up question. How sad is your life that watching this show is the highlight of your week? <laughs> And the follow-up question, how much of that is my fault? <laughs> Do you want me to answer either of them, John? I've only actually ever watched half an episode of Sex and the City. Really? Yeah, I, I have a problem, like many people do, with implausible p- apartments. 
Mm-hmm. There's a yeah. lot of implausible apartments. I just can't in watch any. It really winds me up. Any movie, any TV show that's got an implausible apartment, ridiculous. The friends. Apartment. Yeah, friends. That took me ages to go. Look, yeah. I just pretend it's normal. Just the floor plan of that place didn't make sense, really. I didn't say it was the highlight of my week. I just said I look forward to watching it. Okay. Hazel, you expressed horror at an 8 out of 10 there. <laughs> what would your score be? Um, a 5. <gasps> Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Did you not even get more for the implausible fake penises that were apparently slung around <gasps> in a recent Sorry, episode? Sorry, my lord. My apologies, 6 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it was more than 6. <laughs> it's probably about 10 inches. <laughs> it's just there for a second and you blink and then think, wait, what, what was that? And then I, I've not yet gone back and rewound and freeze frame, but I feel the need to. I've never blinked at a penis in my life. <laughs> the interesting word in that sentence being yet. <laughs> yeah. Have we all seen Boogie Nights? No. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, there's a fake penis. Yeah, there's, there's, there's Dirk, a bit Dirk at the Lamp. end of Boogie Nights where Marky Mark pulls out his strong and goes, you're a star, you're a big shining star kind of thing, and has a massive penis, which was fake. And he said for years afterwards, he had disappointed women when he took them back and they found out that Dirk Diggler was not the real thing. (laughs) Well, they should have gone and found Harry Goldenblatt then because he would have sorted them out. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was the same one. Maybe they dusted it out of a prop store, shoved it down his pants, gave it a bit dust off. Yeah, I guess they're quite expensive to make. (laughs) All I can see now is a dusty penis. (laughs) Yeah. Dusty Penis, was she not a singer in 60s Peter London? <laughs> Wasn't he in Lenny? He was, yeah. <laughs> Who's next? Pizza! I'd like to tell you about a series called Yellow Jackets, which you may have heard about. It's a new series on Sky and Go, and it's been getting a lot of praise all over the place recently. It follows twin timelines, a girls' soccer team in the late 90s, stranded by a plane crash in the Canadian Rockies for 19 months and the present-day versions of the same survivors, as they try to live their lives haunted by what they may or may not have had to do to stay alive. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> I'm not usually a man... Uh, I'm not, not usually a man... <laughs> <laughs> Leave like that one in. Just uh, just uh, I, mean, yeah, I mean, you could fit in, you could be one of the new characters in the Sex of the Citizens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not usually a fan of hopping about in time too much in a narrative. This juggles the storylines really successfully. I think the trick's to always make sure what you reveal in the past links to or explains what you show about the girls in the present day. So they both keep feeding into each other. Maybe that's a bad choice of phrase, actually. It hadn't occurred to me. <laughs> the two versions of the girls are well cast, so it's easy to remember who's who. The adult versions are played by Juliette Lewis as the goth outsider girl, now fresh out of rehab. The always great Melanie Linsky as Shauna, a downtrodden middle-aged woman in an unhappy marriage. And Christina Ricci as Misty, the class pariah with terrible hair, who also seems to contributed in some way to the horrible fate that befell everyone. The survival story is engaging, but it doesn't overshadow the present day stuff. We have one of the girls running for state senate and trying to cover up what happened, an apparent suicide of one of the survivors, and a blackmail threat which unites several of them to discover who's behind it. The pilot hints at some sort of Lord of the Flies situation, with the girls wearing horns and fur and feasting on some sort of mystery meat. But other than the crash... What? <laughs> <laughs> mystery meat is the, uh, the 4am treat in uh, the big market. I'll, I'll, have a, I'll have a kebab of mystery meat, please. Yes, exactly. But other than the crash and a fairly brutal bit of do-it-yourself amputation, things are still fairly calm over the first few episodes. I think the worst is yet to come. I've seen three episodes so far out of the ten, and it's available on Sky and now in the UK. 
Is it inspired by that true story of the South American fo- uh, men's football team who crashed? Is that Alive? Yeah, the, Alive. The movie you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, that sort of I'm story. That it's part of, of partly a sort of urban legend thing. Yeah. A few stories like that as well. Does Arnie Hammer have a significant role? <laughs> you wish. No, he does not. <laughs> I was a little bit confused by the things that I see as to what genre it is. Is it a... Just going to ask that, yeah. Mm. Horror? Is it a drama? Is it... I think it's more drama. There's elements of mystery. They go through some fairly horrific things during those 19 months and possibly eating each other. I really don't know yet. Is it a cookery programme then? (laughs) It is not a cookery programme. Here's today's mystery meat. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to see MasterChef The Professionals where they're all just... Trapped, having a plane crash, having to make Michelin-starred meals out of someone else's toes. Oh, when they do the bit when they bring them out of tray, like it's like covered in a cloth, yeah. and then they go dark cooking now, and it's just a load of fingers and, and some, <laughs> some eyeballs on a cock. Uh, have fun. <laughs> so, if you were on a plane and you crashed, how long would it be before you ate somebody? About five minutes. <laughs> Do we get to choose who? Are they already dead or do you have to kill them? Let's say they're not dead, but they're not in a good way. Right. So we could... We could um, Off them. No, just, we can... We, we can Euthanise uh, them. Uh, we can help help along, hurry along. Yeah. Or you could kind of just look at the bit that's mostly... Uh, you're not going to use that leg again, are you, mate? <laughs> I mean, look at can the you, state of that. It's got a plane well, on it. Well, that would be the best thing to do, wouldn't it? You'd like, you draw lots and like... Whoever has their arm amputated and you'll eat the arm yeah. and you'll take turns. So at least you'll get back with one arm. <laughs> if you get rescued, you know, mm. get one arm. Oh. Well, I do. I'd just eat some money. Remind me never to fly with it, either the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd be like, yeah, we'd, they'd rescue you. They'd be like, it's better than fucking plane food. I was going to say they'd rescue you and they'd be like piles of plane food there. They'd be like, have you, looked, have you seen it? <laughs> John looking a little peckish on the flight to <laughs> Start to protect your limbs. Yeah. You were two miles from the airport. We literally, <laughs> you've been here half an hour and you've been chowing down on somebody. What the fuck? <laughs> on the nuts. <laughs> Complimentary nuts. Complimentary nuts. <laughs> but you're allergic to nuts, John. I am, yeah. I know, I shoved him in his face last night. He went all red. <laughs> Sweet meats. <laughs> Peter, how many um, tasty man morsels out of 10 <laughs> would you give it? I think they're all women, actually. But... I would give it eight so far. I think it's really good. Eight. And I'm waiting to see how it turns out. <laughs> would you like me to go next or Hazel, would you like to go next? I think you should fight for it. You put it to a democratic vote. Do rock, paper, scissors. First one to eat your own That'll finger. That'll be audio gold. That was two scissors. And uh, John's got the paper over the rock. Mine is a horror thing. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's a drama thing. I'll, I'll go first and then if we want to switch them around in the edit... Why not? I've got yeah. time. <laughs> it's the new Netflix miniseries called Midnight Mass. Oh, it's so good. Which is uh, <laughs> like a supernatural horror drama series written and directed by Mike Flanagan, who has done a lot of Stephen King adaptations in the past. I think he did Jevil's Game, Doctor Sleep, The Shining sequel, which I still haven't seen. And this is very Stephen King. We have a small island just off the coast of America with a small coastal community who have been decimated by a oil spill a couple of years ago, which has destroyed a lot of the community, destroyed a lot of the work, and a lot of people have have moved away as a result. Interestingly enough, the reason for that is somewhat extra-textual in that the busy town became a quiet, half-abandoned town when they had to refilm with COVID restrictions. So they kind of reworked it to be, a, you know, a small abandoned place, which w- works surprisingly well. 
you have at the start two characters who are returning to the island. First of all, Riley Flynn, who left to become a financial advisor, became very rich, took a lot of drugs and booze, and whilst drunk, runs over and kills a young woman. And we meet him as he has been released from prison and going back to the island to spend time with his parents and try and get his life back together. And also reunite with kind of his childhood and girlfriend, who is also returned to the island. So you've got two people who have gone and seen the outside world and have come back. It's a very religious island, and the church is very much the focal piece of the community. There is a new young priest who is excellently played by Hamish Linklater. What a name. Who reinvigorates the community with his sermons. But is there something darker going on underneath? Ooh, I bet there probably is. There is. There is. <laughs> so, Peter, you watched the first episode of this. Uh, yeah, only the first one. Yeah. And one of the criticisms that Peter made and other people made is that it's very slow to begin with. Whilst there's an undercurrent of something ominous happening, there's not a great deal in those first three episodes. But that works to the series advantage because when you hit the midway point and the shit hits the fan and crazy stuff starts to happen, you spent three hours with all these characters on this island and you've got to know them and care about them and they've all given lots of space for their backstories. This sounds almost the opposite for Stephen King, which tends to start with a quite out there premise mm-hmm. and then not deliver on the premise. If you watch something like it, the first third of that book is you just hanging around with the kids. He's very good at building up those characterisations. I should say this isn't based on a Stephen King novel. just feels like it It is. feels very much like a Stephen King novel. The writer-director has talked at length in interviews about how he grew up as a Catholic and had substance abuse problems in the past and is now a sober atheist. So he's seen all these things from different sides. Mm. There's really interesting monologues. So there's, there's an episode where the priest decides to hold AA meetings on the island. So it's about a 25-minute scene of just the two of them talking about religion and alcohol and that kind of thing and arguing both sides and another really lovely long discussion between the male and female characters about what happens when you die. It's all given lovely space to breathe. It's obviously something that's really close to the writer's heart. But then it's a really good horror story as well. It's got jump scares, it's got blood, it's got guts, it's got gore. It all goes insane at the end. And it, I think, would you agree to stick to the landing? Yeah, I think it does. It starts off as a threat to this little community and it kind of has, turns into possible global peril by the end. So yeah. it definitely pays off. And it's quite a spectacular ending as well. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't want to spoil it too much. You really don't spoil the ending because it's darker and more interesting than you would expect. I think also the, the first, the early episodes where you're spending a lot of time getting to know the characters, there's still enough sinister undertones in mm-hmm. there for you to start wondering what's going on underneath. It's not just three episodes of a, a soapy drama about an abandoned coastal village. Mm-hmm. It still feels quite supernatural as it builds up to the real all-out supernatural stuff. There's a few bits that feel like occasionally you listen to the writer's TED Talk on a subject, but it's never boring and it never never goes on too long. I yeah. think there's, there's a few good curveballs as well in there, isn't there? Something happens midway yeah. through that I, I wasn't expecting. Hazel, you haven't seen it? No. 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 Are, you, are you tempted from what I said, Peter, to go back and watch some more? Everything I've heard from other people generally who have stuck with it is they have all enjoyed it. Yeah. It's a very solid contained six episodes, 45. It's, it's, one, it's a full story with a beginning, middle and an end. I'm just getting a little bit tired of waiting. 
there's a lot of series now you have to wait quite a long time before things happen and I just do I want to invest another I'm sure it gets really good in episode 4 unfortunately John has already thrown into room 101 anything that starts with something really interesting at the beginning and then flashes back so (laughs) you're you're (laughs) suffering for his 101 is that yellow jacket screwed then (laughs) (laughs) flashback is different oh he's backtracking now (laughs) it's that specific here's a big explosion and a man running and then exciting shit happening and then 12 hours earlier and then you realise you've got an hour of accountancy could you change the channel without realising oh shit yeah (laughs) potentially I think Midnight Mass is worth watching for Hamish Linklater because I think that performance Mm. as Father Paul is amazing I hope he gets nominated for something I've never seen him in anything else and he is just mesmerising he was in Robin Williams last TV show Oh. About an odd agency. Oh, yeah. You told me about that and I had no mm. memory of that. He walks a real tightrope as a, as a really tortured and conflicted character. He's amazing in it. He's so good. Having watched the first episode, could I drop into episode four where it gets interesting and not suffer too much? Hmm. <laughs> You'd miss a big reveal. Would you? Yes. Is that in episode three? Yeah. I mean, so probably... could I miss episode two? <laughs> episode two is probably the one you could skip, okay, I think. So I can yeah. go one, three, four. One, three, four, five, six. So which one they're just talking about religion all the way through? Oh, quite a few of them. You won't be able to <laughs> yeah. skip that. So how many dwindling congregations in a small church on a tiny, tiny little island would you give it out of ten? I'm going to give it a nine because I thought it was really, really good. I really, really liked it. Louise, what would you give it? I'd agree. We were hooked on it. We binged it over a week. We sat up to about three in the morning watching the last episode. Yeah, we were like, we've watched two. We could wait and do the last one tomorrow. No, we're just going to keep watching. Mm-hmm. Hazel, what <laughs> have you got for us? Well, I have one of the most interesting TV series I have ever seen. Oh. It's called Landscapers, starring Olivia Coleman and David... This is the documentary about Ralph Giuliani giving that speech in front of Total Landscaping. <laughs> Ralph Giuliani. Ralph Giuliani, as I call him. <laughs> Not quite. It's uh, a drama with Olivia Coleman and David Thewlis. It is. It's four episodes. It's available on Sky and it is based on a famous true crime here in the UK. I'm not giving away spoilers, but this information is given right at the beginning of the series and you might remember the case. Olivia Coleman and David Thewlis play a married couple, Susan and Christopher Edwards. They are from Dagenham and in 2014 they were both convicted of murdering her parents 15 years prior and then burying their bodies in their garden where they remained until the police received a tip-off. Susan and Christopher were living in Paris when the police became aware of the bodies of Susan's parents. Susan and Christopher come home to face the charges. They deny murder but Susan pleads involuntary manslaughter claiming she acted alone and Christopher improper burial of the bodies. Now, they both appear to be about as far from murder suspects as you can get. Uh, Susan is a librarian and Olivia Coleman plays her as very meek, very polite. And whatever the opposite of world weary is, everything seems delightful and brand new to her. Naive. Possibly. (laughs) Universally optimistic. Yes. There we go. Thank you, Ian. Christopher is a devoted and supportive husband. They are struggling financially. He's trying to get a job in Paris but he hasn't mastered French yet. Susan keeps buying old Hollywood memorabilia and will buy anything with Gary Cooper's face on it. They also appear to be pen pals of Gerard Depardieu. The four episodes, they cover their life in Paris, their arrest and the subsequent individual police interrogations and the trial. But what is most interesting about this show are the creative choices. 
Sometimes the director wants us to feel like we're in a 1940s Hollywood movie, uh, so they use black and white, soft focuses. In other scenarios, we're on an actual film set whilst the scene is being played out, so we see camera crew and the actors walking from one Mm. set to the other. In other scenes, we go into complete fantasy land. There are quite a few fourth wall moments, and this all might sound a bit cheesy, a bit kitschy, but there are valid reasons for all of these creative choices. So they could have done a straight drama because the truth of what actually happened is interesting enough, but they really play with a couple's fascination of Hollywood and storytelling. It works too, because as a viewer, you are left constantly guessing about the turn of events, even though you know what happens. Um, It is genuinely a masterpiece, and the credit must go to director Will Sharp and his co-writer Ed Sinclair, as well, of course, as Olivia Coleman and David Thewlis. They are magnificent together. Mm. It is absolutely one of the best things I've seen on TV in a long time. Coleman and Thewlis are amazing. Mm-hmm. And like you say, the director's choices of bringing us into their kind of fantasy world that they live in. And they imagine themselves like in a Western, don't they? And you yeah. see them out on the range fighting the police mm-hmm. with guns and stuff like that. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably one of the best dramas I've seen on TV in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So I'm glad you recommended that. All these directorial flourishes and storytelling choices could be distracting from the story and... Mm. Do you remain emotionally involved with these characters? Yeah, And that's through the performances. Every creative decision, there's a reason for it. Mm -hmm. And it's a real fascination with storytelling and how the two characters are telling their version of event. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything has its place. So with something like the Wild West scene you talked about... Mm. Is the case of you see their version of it and then you see how it actually panned out or do you, how do you know what actually happened? They made the decision not to kind of be plain spoken about that. They told you what happened at the beginning. Mm. They show you a version of events through the character's reality. They've kind of left it up to the audience to just kind of go, hmm. Yeah, hmm. And it's kind of like the fantasy sequence aren't so much the, the, the telling of the story, but it's about how they kind of feel about the situation they're in. Yeah, it's really, yeah. really cleverly done. Mm. Yeah. And are the changes of tone and style jarring, or are they all nicely massaged so they make sense as you see them? Nicely massaged, I would say, <laughs> <Okay>. yes. <laughs> like the bit you were saying about the film set, you think they're in the living room, and the camera pulls back slowly to reveal another camera and the crew, and you suddenly realise you're on a film set. It's, it's done very subtly like that. Watching Ian try not to pull his head back with every five we've been there was quite insane. <laughs> Shame me to the microphone. <laughs> so are the couple that the show is about still in prison then, presumably? They are, yes. They deny murder to this day. But Olivia, Olivia Coleman seems so nice. I know, right? <laughs> but also it, uh, it's interesting because it kind of delves into sort of the, the ineptitude of the police as well. Because their lies aren't particularly very well convincing and haven't really put really well together. And the police kind of miss things and it's, it's interesting. My friend did a reconstruction thing on Crime Watch and the police had to give him a card to say that he was not the criminal because the number of people that saw him on Crime Watch as an actor and then the next day we reported him to, I've just seen that bloke off Crime Watch walking down, walking down the street. Yes, that's the actor Mickey Cochran. <laughs> <laughs> so do real criminals have cards that look like that? Because it'd Maybe. be a great way of getting away if with not, it. Why if, I, if, if I did a murder, I would get on Crime Watch as the person doing the reenactment. <laughs> to put people off i stole a car on crime watch did you yeah did they give you a card afterwards no i was never recognized either <laughs> just the <laughs> so power of works. the acting do, do you still yeah. have the, do you still have the car <laughs> yeah 
Uh, how many decaying corpses in the garden out of ten would you give it? Ten decaying corpses out of ten. Twenty twenty two promises to be a fantastic year for film, so we're gonna preview what we're most looking forward to over the next few months. Okay, so on February the fourth, mm. everyone needs to stop what they're doing, abandon any plans. And go and see what will undoubtedly be the greatest action film ever made. Moonfall. Yay! <laughs> Moonfall. I can't wait to see this shit. There is no greater jeopardy than the moon falling on your head. Literally in your face. <laughs> yeah. The moon. I hope Halle Berry and that guy out of Game of Thrones can save us. So Samuel Tarly has made a shocking discovery and needs to be put in touch with NASA immediately because the moon is not what we think it is. It has become an intelligent entity and all sorts of crazy shit starts to happen. Oh, so lasers, this is worse than I expected. Lasers, spaceships flying themselves, <laughs> gravity waves, gravity waves, and some sort of moon worm. Oh. Do Aerosmith do a song at any point? I really hope so. If not, we should all go and see it and we should sing one. Yeah. Just an Aerosmith song. Anyone. Moonfall! I'm excited for Moonfall. I am too. It's, it's, it looks batshit crazy. Yeah. It's like Independence Day again, isn't it? It's just kind of lots of money thrown at screen. It's going to oh, be brilliant. Get it in my eyeballs. Yeah. Oh, Louise, and another film coming up in February. Marry Me. I don't know what this is. Yes, you do. Marry Me. Jennifer Lopez. Oh, that one. Oh, <laughs> With my Owen God. Wilson. This looks terrible as well. I can't wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a film starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. Jennifer Lopez is doing a huge stretch and is playing an international singer who <laughs> gets on stage and I assume it's based on Married at First Sight because she marries a stranger played by Owen Wilson and it looks awfully good mm. awful or awfully good <laughs> yeah so they, hard they, to tell isn't it it felt like the Lee Good was doing a lot of work there <laughs> there was so little chemistry between them as well I just think it'll be painful to watch in a delicious way anyone going to see Death on the Nile Oh, no. no. Oh, my God. The first one of those films was horrendous. It, was it made awful. me angry yeah. in the cinema. Yeah. What a pile of shite it was. I drank like a bottle of champagne on an afternoon tea before I saw that. And I was still angry because it was so bad. And I can't believe they made it like another Knives Out. That was a terrible movie as well. Oh, no, you're wrong. Oh, no. It's a pile of poop. No, we all went to the cinema and you were the only one who hated it. Uh, it was rubbish. No, Andy no. hates it as well. Oh, Good. well, yes. But um, it's on Dan's list as Knives Out 2 is something he's really looking forward to. It's in Greece. It's basically Mamma Mia 3. <gasps> oh my god, I'm looking forward That's to that not now. <laughs> yeah. uh, what about Uncharted? Do we think not having a Nathan Fillion in it is going to spoil it? Tom Tom Holland Holland and Mark Wahlberg mm. and Antonio Banderas. I don't know anything about the game. Just imagine Indiana Jones or Tomb Raider. Yeah. That's pretty much all you need to know. So are people angry because Nathan Fillion portrayed the character in the game and he's not in the film? No, it's just he looks has that sort of craggy look of the character. <laughs> from they the just game. think he looks like him. Yeah, I mean, he does, doesn't he? And he, he also made a short, sort of 10 minute or so version as well. Oh, and led them on to think he might be in it, and now he's not. Yeah, I think he did it just as a pitch, really. Mm-hmm. Does anyone know why he did it? Shits and giggles. <laughs> <laughs> I can believe that. Uh, the Batman in oh, March. Yeah. No, thank you. There's a lot of Batman if Three this hours year, of it. There? Oh, God, no. Yeah. Well, not just that as well, though. There's the Batman movie, but there's also two more Batman. Is there? What? Appearing in The Flash. Yeah. Um, Going to get three Batman. Yeah. Wasn't The Flash a TV series? But it's a movie now, and as well as a TV series. Is it the same Flash? It's the same Flash from... Justice League. Ezra Miller. There's yeah. also two Catwoman. That's Catwoman movie, and then there's Catwoman in The Batman. Yeah, right. There is no Catwoman movie better than the Halle Berry classic. Of Sorry. course, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. One of the greatest hero yeah. films ever made. You can make that face all you want, Peter. <laughs> I'm not going to change my mind. I'm looking forward to the Batman, I have to say. I'm intrigued. It, it kind of looks like Seven. It looks like it wants to be Seven and it won't be. <laughs> it <laughs> just looks probably. relentlessly grim and dark and goth and Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson looks more like a vampire in that trailer than he ever did in Twilight. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it looks... It, oh, he doesn't look very Bruce Wayne-y. Up, Great <laughs> being Batman. You get to wear rubber and shoot batarangs at people. You're a billionaire, mate. Say what's put me off it. I've seen Thomas Wayne in the cast list. Meaning. Oh, they're going to die again. Uh, they're going to walk past the theatre. There's going to be some pearls. Oh. <laughs> also, they've shoehorned so many of the other characters into it as well. Like when yeah. Tim Burton did Batman, he, the first film was about Batman and mm-hmm. one villain. And then they brought in the Catwoman and all the other people in the second one when they realised Batman was quite dull. But in this one, they've pushed everyone into the first one. I just feel like they don't have confidence that people yeah. are going to be that engaged by the mm. Batman in their version of it. This will probably divide people. Has anyone seen trailers for The Lost City? Mm. Um, it is Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. Yes, I have seen that. Basically doing it's romancing the, the stone. Romancing the stone. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love romancing the stone, uh-huh. so I should love this, but I'm not sure I will. And it starts with some quite interesting meta stuff where you kind of see her telling the story, and then she says no, and she scrubs stuff out, and things yeah. disappear from the world where she's mm. creating the story and things. Yeah. But I bet it doesn't keep that up for long. Yeah, but I, I see. I'm a sucker for anything like with tombs and puzzles, mm. movies, type thing. I'll watch them all. National, what's it called? Um, National, National Treasure. Treasure, National those Treasure. Kind of, all that kind of stuff. I love it. Um, Disney Plus now has National Treasure, the Nicolas Cage film, and also National Treasure, the Robbie Coltrane sex offender drama. <laughs> so you've got to be very careful with your kids on Disney Plus that you click the right <laughs> National Treasure because they come right up next to each other on a search. <laughs> it's very confusing. I don't know anything about this film, but I like Sandy Bollocks and I like mm-hmm. Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum is always entertaining. So I think. As lumps of meat go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly <laughs> when you like say that. he's always entertaining, what you mean is you'll watch Magic Mike repeatedly. You go, Ooh, <laughs> again and again and again. There's a new one of them coming. I'm excited Magic for Mike that. Forever. Good choice Yay. of phrase. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Are we all looking forward to a new uh, Jared Leto fix with Mobius? Oh, oh my God. Out of all the trailers I looked at, that was without doubt. The one I was, okay, I'm never going to see this in my life if, <laughs> if I can possibly avoid it. Speaking of things I'm never going to watch in my entire life, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yes, <laughs> this is going to be great. This is Nicolas Cage playing himself with Pedro Pascal as an international drug lord. He invites Nicolas Cage to his birthday party and the FBI speaks to him before and go, listen, mate, this is our chance to get this fella. And excitement ensues. Bruce Campbell did a film called My Name is Bruce, which is a very mm-hmm. similar premise. I like that film. It's really good, yeah. Um, and Jean-Claude Van Damme has done something similar. So it's Joy not CVD. the newest or greatest idea, but it, the trailer looks fun. I'll, I'll, I'll go and see it, but my expectations will be in check. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness in May. Ooh. Mm. I haven't seen Spider-Man yet. No. I would see Spider-Man I if would. I were you. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Do, also, we, just, it's a really good film, so yeah. see Spider-Man. But do we need, do you think that Doctor Strange 2 will follow on I think it will. Spider-Man? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was a given that it would. Yeah. So we were getting excited about Moonfall because <laughs> of its sort of... Moonfall! Oh, dear, look what I've done. Because of its Armageddon-ness. Yes. Uh, so Michael Bay has one coming out, which is Ambulance. Ambulance! ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about One's got a moon crashing into the planet, possibly destroying all life on Earth. <laughs> the other has a man driving an ambulance. Is it yeah, a night in A&E? Who's in Ambulance? Ambulance! <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal. And Ooh. it's a sort of robbery caper movie that goes wrong. They end up stealing an ambulance, which has a paramedic and a man dying in the ambulance. 
and you've got all sorts of chase scenes and explosions, and it's a Michael Bay movie, so of course Sounds it's going to be awful. chaos. Is Jake Gyllenhaal the paramedic? He's is, one is of he the, the, he the robber. He's a robber. <laughs> Does that sound as good as Moonfall? No, Moonfall. 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 <laughs> Nothing is as good as Moonfall. <laughs> Moonfall. I can't wait till we all see Moonfall. <laughs> Moonfall. <laughs> we all need to go together. <laughs> Um, a movie that I uh, forgot to mention on Dan's behalf, The Northman, coming out in, at the end of April, starring Robert Eggers and uh, Alexander Skarsgård of Vikings. That does look interesting. Mm. Having watched John play his way through Assassin's, Assassin's Creed, Creed Valhalla. Valhalla for what feels like a year now. 100 hours and counting. Oh, I am counting. I've done 228. Wow. <laughs> You're not really <laughs> trying, John, but please don't play more. <laughs> <laughs> Having watched um, a lot of that, I, it sounds quite similar, actually, when I read the premise. Has anyone seen The Witch, which I gather is a similar sort of the thing? It's <laughs> on my list of things to watch. It feels like the sort of thing that you've got to be in the mood for. I'm a bit scared of it. I think it's going to be super creepy and horrible. And I know it will be a good film, but I don't want to be that creeped out by it. Mm-hmm. But I can see from your faces that I will be. <laughs> uh, Top Gun Maverick. Um, has that been delayed for quite a while? I feel it like it's been yeah. talked it about for quite yeah. some time. That's because no one wants to see it. That's May 27th. And then Dan will be very pleased to hear that Jurassic World Dominion is coming out on the 10th oh, of June. Oh, more tears for Dan. <sighs> New Lego for my nephew, though. Where's it going to be set? Is it dinosaurs in space this time, is it? I think they come on Don't land. Care. Don't, you mean <laughs> it's dinosaurs in the city, you mean? Yeah, they're not that, on the island. Hasn't that been done in like, the third one? Yeah. Just like that. Yeah, just like the T-Rex die at the end of episode one. <laughs> <laughs> I am your lizard. Does anyone have any movies that you want to talk about or should I just rattle through quickly? Moonfall! 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 <laughs> Okay, so we've got Lightyear, which is no, no. June oh, 17th. Yes. No. Is this the live-action version of Buzz Lightyear? So this film is about the TV show that Buzz Lightyear was based on. Okay, was it really based on a TV show? No. This is, that's the concern. No. It's an imaginary TV show that right. this imaginary story is imaginary yeah. based on. Yeah. Mm. And they've got Chris Pratt in his... No, Chris the other one, Chris Evans. Evans. The premise of that film gives me some kind of an existential crisis. Yeah. I, I, like I, trying to wrap my head around the notion of the world within the world of the fictional world, it, it was too much for me. No, I think it'll make more sense in context, though. Yeah. Also, it's not the only Pixar one. There's Turning Red, which comes out 12th of March. Oh, they're putting that on streaming, aren't they? Instead of releasing it now, that I believe Pixar yeah. wasn't too happy about that. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. What's that about then? It's about uh, a little girl who, when she gets really emotionally distraught turns into a huge furry red monster. Oh, I thought she turned right. into a red panda. It's not, ev- it's not every woman. <gasps> oh. Oh. Yeah, no, you think that happens because they turn into a panda and this won't mate with you for two years. <laughs> I unreservedly apologise for my misogynistic joke. It's now a hate crime, Ian. <laughs> it is. Yeah, and the thing with Pixar is they seem to be obsessed with emotions. There's so many weird things. Just because you don't have any, John. <laughs> I know. As, 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 a soulless, as a soulless piece of shit, I, I, I find this confusing. But the, the, there's been a lot of Pixar films where they kind of anthropomorphize emotions yeah. and feelings and stuff. And They're all a metaphor these days for something. Yeah. It's yeah. great for appealing to kids to not hide away from their emotions yeah. and grow up yeah. to be a soulless piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just seems like we've had it inside out and soul and now this. It feels like it's a weird... Yeah, you don't need any more than two movies with emotions, <laughs> no. in, do you? No. Do you think it's better that they, like you, watch Robocop at the age of eight? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely. what they need. More it's of very, that. It's a very emotional film, Robocop. It is. Sure. It is. He goes and sees his family and... Yeah. The house is sold. And, no, and he loses his personality. He's, he's, he's nearly killed, loses his personality, and come back as a forced to be this robot. Do you think they saved his cock? <laughs> what? Like, you know, they like keep the arm. 
Like, do you think he's got a little... Cause, little Robocop. Little Robocop. <laughs> probably. Then we've got uh, a movie that is probably going to test our marriage. Thor, Love and Thunder. Oh. July the 8th. I'm just looking forward to your arguments about it more than the Thor film. Thor. 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 Is it Taika again? It is Taika. Thor, 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 Thor. You've got to say Thor, 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 Thor. Four times, go. Thor, 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 Thor. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> is this the one where Natalie Portman becomes yes. Thor? I, I, want, I want to know how that happens. Yeah, Jane Foster comes back having been unceremoniously dumped with one line of dialogue in Ragnarok and having slept through most of Dark Did World. she get blipped? She got blipped, but it's interesting that they managed to get Natalie Portman back. Mm. So hopefully, you know, she's got a better meteor role this time. I really like Ragnarok. I know it was divisive, but I thought it was fun. I it's only I'd... divisive in Hazel's house. Yeah. <laughs> I preferred what they did with the character in Ragnarok to what they did with him in Endgame, yeah. where yes. it became a fat joke for a yeah. big chunk of the film. Don't call him a big chunk. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that they've made a fourth one of these when the rest seem to have ended with trilogies, so hopefully they've got something new and exciting to go with it. Do you think she saw Kat Dennings getting screen time again and got jealous? He should have gone with Kat Dennings. This was much more interesting than Jane Foster. Do you think she was maybe too short? Maybe. Because he would have been about two foot taller than Kat Dennings. Is he not two foot taller than most people? I mean, yeah. how, how tall is he? He's about the, as tall as a tree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what kind of tree? A bonsai tree? Sycamore or mighty oak? <laughs> anyway, um, Mission Impossible 7 uh, in September. Maybe no. on. Do you think we would have given up by now? It's obviously impossible, isn't it? Because it's like seven times they've tried this mm-hmm. mission and they still haven't got it. Well, it's impossible, isn't it? Well, yeah. clearly they've done six missions and haven't done. But what about Mission Possible? Mm. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse yes, in October. Please. Mm. That looks Ooh, great. Is, is that only part one of a two-parter? Yeah. 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 Is this the animated one again? Mm-hmm. Yes. They got yep. too much love and, and excitement and now they're being indulgent. What I really liked was the unique filming style of Spider-Man Into the Multiverse, where they did it like at 12 frames a second, make it look a bit jerky, and then they had all those w- weird colour effects that were really, really great, until Peter walked out of the cinema to complain to the projectionist, because he thought <laughs> it was a mistake. Yep. Well, yeah, it looked wrong. <laughs> it didn't do like depth of field focus stuff, so it blurs. Instead, it would separate the red and green mm-hmm. colours. How long did that conversation go? Did they come in and look they at it with puzzled. you? Oh, in fairness. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a couple of films to round out uh, the year. So we've got Black Panther, Wakanda Forever mm-hmm. in November. I'm intrigued. Mm. What are they going to do? Yes, they've got a dead lead actor and an anti-vaxxer lead actor. Apparently she's filming again. And I really want you to watch more Pixar films, John. <laughs> Just to get... <laughs> you know, Chadwick Boseman was Black Panther and it's going to be interesting to see what they do without Cherie's him. Cherie's probably going to have a greater mm-hmm. role. Yeah, but she's an insane anti-vaxxer. Is she? Oh, yeah, the that's actress, who you're referring to. The actor, yeah, sorry, yeah. Right. Is it Daniel Kaluuya, who was in Get Out? Yeah. yeah. He's a great actor. I would love to see him get a, mm. a larger role, because he was wasted in the first yeah, one. Yeah, he was kind of a bit of a yeah. mild antagonist. They've said they're not going to recast, but there will be presumably be a new Black Panther. Everybody loved Chadwick Boseman, and they're going to have to tread carefully, I think, with mm. how they yeah. deal with it. And then to round out the year, finally, we have... Moonfall! Avatar 2. <gasps> I love it. I love Maybe, a bit of James Cameron. Sort of. <laughs> I have faith in James Cameron when all others do not. <laughs> Name two characters from Avatar. Uh, the highest grossing film of all time that we've all seen. Um, f- f- um, Flicky. <laughs> Flicky. Jake Sully. Jake Sully, yes. Jake Sully. Jake Sully, there's one. There's the one that's almost exactly Vasquez and, and, from and, Aliens. And, and um, Mrs. Navi. Did you see the problem? But the thing about Avatar was that its impact was in technology. It was like an yeah. innovation. People went to see it for 3D mm. experience. 
James Cameron always writes a compelling story. And I think he's really good at character as well. But um, people didn't go to that film for that. They went just to sit and marvel at it. And it did look amazing. Mm. It did look beautiful. I saw it in IMAX and 3D and it was absolutely spectacular. So that is what we are looking forward to in 2022. Let us know what your favourite is on our social channels at Nerdfest UK. Nothing will better Moonfall. And that is it for today's episode. We'll be back in a few weeks' time. Until then, keep up to date with everything nerdy and festy on our social channels. Plus, every single like, rating and review really helps our egos. So if you can, (laughs) please do one or all three of those. John, what is this week's reward for our generous listeners? Moonfall! Moonfall! (laughs) Until next time, you've been listening to... A man who takes three hours to get going, but believe me, it's worth it. A man who takes no time at all to get going, but it finishes very quickly. <laughs> a man living across two timelines, a teenager in his head and a grown-up version on the outside. Okay. <laughs> a, w- a woman who can't wait to get a moon in the face! Are <laughs> 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 well, sure about that? <laughs> yeah. Give me three hours. <laughs> <laughs> in a similar way, a woman who... Moonfall! I don't think he shouted Moonfall once. No, he doesn't, he doesn't join in those kind of games. Give us a Moonfall. Go on, Peter. Go on, come on Peter. Go on, Peter. Moonfall! Yay! Yay! <laughs> Sounds better when you say it.